0: good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios, and you're hearing us over EWTN radio. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you today to take some time to look into Scripture and how we can hear through the words of uh, the inspired Scriptures the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ in the church that he established in his Apostles. And our guest today is the same guest that was on the Journey Home program Monday night, Taylor Marshall. He's a former Episcopal uh, clergyman. Um, and of course, on that episode, well, he was on the Journey Home six years ago and gave his full journey into the church, and that can be found on EWTN.com. But he did talk a little bit on Monday night about his journey into the church, and uh He's now Dr. Terry Marshall because he recently finished his Ph.D. That's a great blessing of the Lord. Uh, He was an Episcopal priest in Fort Worth, Texas, before being received into the Catholic Church with his wife um, back in 2006. He has appeared on EWTN uh, on a number of the programs as well as radio programs. He's the author of two books, The Crucified Rabbi, Judaism and the Origins of Catholic Christianity, and the Catholic perspective on Paul. He was formerly, also formerly the assistant director of the Catholic Information Center in Washington, D.C., where he was a regular lecturer, and he received his PhD in philosophy from the University of Dallas. He's a graduate of Texas A&M University, Westminster Theological Center. So, oh, you at at Westminster? I, did, yeah. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. I mm-hmm. almost went there. Um, uh, and he's a Nishota, Theological house, which makes sense in your Anglican mm-hmm. background, and of course, most recently, the University of Dallas. And he and his wife live in Dallas, Texas, with their six children. And if you're interested, he does have a blog. You can find that at www.taylormarshall.com. Taylor, welcome to, to Deep well, Scripture. Yeah, thank
1: you. Good to be here.
0: It's good to have you here. We we had that chance on the the Journey Home program to talk about your journey and and some of the updates on your journey, but but is often the case. We didn't have a chance to open the scriptures and, and look at some of the scriptures that have been important to your journey. And for today's program, you've chosen a, a selection of, of verses that all center around a theme, right? What were the reasons that you, you went with these uh, verses, Taylor?
1: Well, these scriptures all have to do with um, the papacy, but uh, in particular, Rome. You know, as, as a Protestant before, particularly as an Anglican who who thought of himself as an Anglo Catholic or. Someone who was, you know, interested in being Catholic because of the Nicene Creed. I always wondered, well, Catholic means universal. So why is it a Roman Catholic Church? Isn't that contradictory? Why would you say it's universal and yet having a center in in a city in Italy of all places? Yeah. And uh, you know, if you read the scriptures, you know, Roman is a Gentile place. Uh, Caesar, you know, it's the enemy of Christ. Christ was crucified on a Roman cross. Uh, many hardships come to the Jews through the Romans. So why would it be that that God would choose Rome as the home and, and heart of the church on earth?
0: Yeah, because I I know I felt the same thing back when I was a Presbyterian pastor. Um, you know, I would have not, on the one hand, I would have not considered that Louisville, Kentucky, had any unique spiritual significance even though it was the american headquarters for the presbyterian church that i was a member of or you know when, when i was a congregationalist that was up in Ma- uh, minnesota somewhere mm-hmm. or whatever you as an anglican uh i don't know what your american headquarters is but uh,
1: yeah uh let's see well there's kind of a two <laughs> new york and dc but You're we right. all look kind of canterbury in england yeah right. there you go so yeah. there
0: it is uh uh and so in my mind because of the apocalyptic influence that I had had, at least in my early evangelical years, to me, Rome equaled Babylon in the mm-hmm. apocalyptic literature. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, if that's where the Catholic Church is, well, that just makes sense. You yeah. know, cause, <laughs> it
1: means cause, the Catholic Church is bad. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So
0: the whore of Babylon, I that's mean, right. that was the what we called them. Mm-hmm. So that equated Rome. And if anything, that made sense to me mm-hmm. only because I had such a negative view of the Catholic Church. So if they want to be in Rome, well, that's – yeah, hey, makes
1: it easy for us. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. So I saw no positive, valid reason, and I think uh, for the same reasons that you thought maybe it should be somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and you, you think, well, where would be the most logical place to headquarter the church? Jerusalem, right? Um, you know, tradition has it that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac there on Mount Moriah. Uh, King David, you know, his his kingdom is centered there, and then of course. You know, our Lord rose from the dead, crucified, rose from the dead, ascended, Jerusalem, the apostles, the Holy Spirit came. Jeru- Obviously, God would choose Jerusalem to be the headquarters of the church, and yet he didn't. Even even the first council. The first council.
0: And, and all Paul's, of course, you wrote the book on
1: Paul, the mm-hmm. Catholic perspective on
0: Paul. Paul's always raising money for where? For yeah, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Everything's
1: centered back at Jerusalem. He's going to, to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and clearly that should be the place. Right, but it's not. So this this is a this is a big question, you know, and a lot of Protestants have this question. And sometimes when you raise this question with Catholics, like, yeah, it should be there, you know. (laughs) So maybe the Pope should move back to Jerusalem, you know. That's that's, so I began to wonder. Well, is this an accident of history? You know, like Anglicanism looks to Canterbury because Saint Augustine of Canterbury went there, and Gregory the Great sent him, and it's just sort of a historical fact. And so there's a historical legacy and a tradition, and so it makes sense, you know, and, and the Russians look to Moscow and the Greeks look to Constantinople, and, right? right? Or is there something biblical? Is there something theological about Rome? Is, do you see this in the Bible or is it just something that happened? And the, the first thing I noticed was, well, the book of Acts is like an odyssey. It begins with the ascension and and Pentecost. And the book is really a story about getting to Rome, right? It begins in Jerusalem, and then when Paul gets to Rome, it just ends, (laughs) you know? (laughs) You're kind of turning the page looking for more, and it doesn't. It's just he's in Rome.
0: In fact, he's um, communicating that he does plan to keep going Mm -hmm. to Spain. We we don't don't know historically whether he ever Mm -hmm. completed
1: that
0: mission, but – it almost seems like there ought to be more,
1: right? But there isn't. But Rome, Rome is sufficient, you know. <laughs> and and so that's puzzling, you know. So you think about that, and then, you know, I was reading, you know, this, you know verses you never saw before, right? That's the theme yep. of the show. So I was reading along in Acts, and I, and I, I'd read this verse probably dozens of times, and it's um, Acts twenty three eleven, and it reads this: the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said. Take courage, for as you have testified about me at Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome, Acts 23.11. And I thought, wow, you know, everyone knows that our Lord appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, right? And he had the vision, and he converted, he went blind, and the big conversion. Everybody knows that. So if he said, you know, when our Lord appeared to Paul, they would assume that. But our Lord appears to Paul again. Right? That's significant, Right? <laughs> or it says there the lord was with paul and he gives him a message you know the first time is you know Saul Saul why do you persecute me right? right and it's and it's it's both his salvation and his commission as apostle of the gentiles but then he comes back again and he gives him another message and what is it rome <laughs> right yeah and he even says as you began in jerusalem so now rome he doesn't say so now that you testified in jerusalem you should you know go to ephesus and then after that, you know, maybe go to Colossae and Thessalonica. He says Rome. So there's something. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself has a definite plan here, and it begins in Jerusalem, and it goes to Rome. And the, I think the book of Acts is framing that. You know, that's the, that's, that's the whole. You yeah, know?
0: Jesus doesn't say, well, Paul, wait a second. You're getting a bit far afield here. Right. You know, it's, it's back there where you've come yes, from. Yes, right. You know, and in essence, I mean, It's almost like he was heading back, right? and then uh, he gets arrested, and he's moved forward to Rome. Yeah,
1: and and if you think about it, you must bear witness also at Rome. What does that mean in Greek, right? It means that that his blood will be the seat of the church, along with Peter, there in Rome. And so, you know, and then another place in Acts 2, in Acts um, 19.21, St. Luke writes, now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So again, this, this Jerusalem-Rome link is explicit. So, you know, just seeing that verse, you know, for the first time after reading it several times and thinking, wow, Christ himself said, go to Rome. So, so just kind of tucking that in my head and then and reading, you know, in the Gospels with, with St. Matthew, um, where does he make Matthew, uh, sorry, Peter, the Pope, you know, in Matthew 16, it's right there by Caesarea, right? It's, it's a Roman outpost, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like our Lord is going to commission Peter as the first Pope and they go out into nowhere, right? I mean, not nowhere, but I mean, they don't go to Jerusalem. They go to a Roman outpost and outside the Roman outpost, he makes Peter the rock, and there's again a Roman connection there. So there's these, these these interesting Roman connections. And then it's funny the the big breakthrough. And I, this is not unique. Um, there's a great book called uh, I know you, you carry it here in your catalog by um, Soloviev. Oh yeah. Um, is it Vladimir or, uh, or, uh, or Serge Serge oh, the Russian name?
0: But it was, um, I think, translated or not translated, but it's got a forward by Father Ray Ryland. That's right. Yeah. Soloviev is, I believe,
1: the last name. It's called uh, Russia and the Papacy or something like that. Right. He makes a lot of these same connections along the way. And and the really big one is in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, you know, there's that famous vision of the statue or, or the idol. Yeah. And it has the golden head. And it has the the silver shoulders, you know, an arm, and then it has the bronze uh, legs, and then the feet are iron and um, and uh, clay, clay, iron okay. and clay. And in the vision, this this giant stone comes from heaven, and it crashes into the feet of this giant idol, and it causes it to to crumble. And this is a symbol, of course, destroying the the idolatry of the nations. But it also says that that stone grows and fills the whole earth. So it's the coming of, of God's kingdom. And if you trace out those four kingdoms, the first one's Babylon. The second one is the Medes and the per- Persians. That's the uh, silver. The bronze is the Greeks, and the fourth is the, is the Roman kingdom. And so you would expect for the Messiah or for God's great redemptive act to happen in the time of the fourth kingdom. Which is the Roman period, and that's exactly what we read in Matthew you know at the time of you know Augustus Caesar, you know a, a call for a census goes out, and that's why Joseph and our lady go to to Bethlehem, so there's that Roman element and then again in D- in Daniel seven, it's basically the same prophecy, but you get four beasts: the first beast is a lion, the second beast is a bear, the third beast is the leopard, and the fourth beast is this terrible conglomerate of things. And in Daniel 7, it talks about how uh, the fourth beast shall be as a fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be greater than all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and it shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And this is no doubt a, um, you know, a prophecy of, of the Roman domination, the Pax Romana, which took over hmm. all the way from Britain, and North Africa, the Middle East, Spain, you know, on and on and on. But then the Son of Man appears. And Daniel seven, and he takes over that kingdom, and by extension, all the kingdoms of the earth. And it's a great messianic prophecy about the God of Israel adopting all the kingdoms of the earth. It's a Gentile message. Mm. So if you're if you are a savvy Jew reading Daniel, you would see the Son of Man, right? This messianic you know person that comes from the ancient of days. In the time of the fourth kingdom is going to take over the fourth kingdom and use it for his purposes, right? And suddenly, you know, you slap your forehead and you're like, the Roman Catholic Church, right? Jerusalem is not situated strategically to envelop all the nations over the whole globe. It's not. That's why God in his providence chose Rome, which is, you know, it's the capital of the Gentile world. And this is why... Our Lord sends Paul, and He sends Peter into the heart of the empire, and that's where they die. That's where they lay down their their lives, their blood. And you know, Babylon, Rome is Babylon. It's a pagan, terrible, bad place. That's Antichrist. But the blood of the martyrs, beginning with Peter and Paul, plants the seed. And over time, you know, and then there's many, many. All those early popes were martyrs. Yeah, all those popes are are just. Are just fertilizing Rome with their blood and uniting themselves with Christ in that, you know, their own passion. And Rome eventually emerges as the capital. If
0: you see that Rome is the trajectory, the intended trajectory, it does make sense of a number of things. Uh, Even the condition of Judaism at the time our Lord chose. To become a man, he, there's lots of times in history he could have chosen. He could have come during the Great Exile, mm-hmm. uh, when ju- both Israel and Judah were under the controls of of the Persians, mm-hmm. the Babylonians. Yeah, I mean, they, God could have chosen that Babylon. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, uh, he chooses. He, he ch- chooses to send his son. When Jerusalem is totally in the hands of Rome. Rome,
1: yeah, yeah, and Paul and Saint Paul calls that the fullness of time. He, he was born in the fullness of time, and uh, you know it's it's also as a, as a as a Protestant before you don't have the Deuterocanonical books, particularly First and Second Maccabees. So you read in the Old Testament, Judea, you know Israel, right, and then it divides, and then all of a sudden you get Babylonians, and then you get Persians, and then. A little bit of Greek, maybe, and then you turn the page, Matthew, and all of a sudden there's centurions and Pontius Pilate and Augustus Caesar and Roman tax collectors. How did this happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> How did we go all the way to Rome? Now, if you have the, if you have if you read First and Second Maccabees, this is very interesting. In First Maccabees twelve three, the the Jews have finally got their independence from the Greeks, but they're a fragile kingdom. They're not strong. You know, the Maccabees were mighty warriors, and they did a great work, and they got their independence. But like the early America, we needed allies quick. We were going to right. lose it back, you know. And where do they go? They send envoys to Rome. And their first, their first ally is Rome. They make friends with Rome because Rome was kind of an up-and-coming, you know, superpower. And the Romans were not getting along with the Greeks, and the Jews had, you know, problems with the Greeks. So they were natural bedfellows. And you see them kind of emerging and becoming friends and allies. And that's kind of where our, the true Old Testament ends, is you read that Jerusalem and Rome are becoming allies to protect themselves from the Greek. Then you turn the page and you realize the deal's gone wrong and Rome is dominating. Rome is now dominating Jerusalem. Well,
0: you know, what a parallel. In fact, that verse, I want to read that verse, which you mentioned. Maccabees 12 first Maccabees first Maccabees 123 that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, so they went to Rome and entered the senate chamber and said Jonathan the high priest and the Jewish nation have sent us to renew the former rela- friendship and alliance with them so when you include that in the story it even makes more the parallel with the end of Genesis where right the the all the 12 tribes end up in Egypt yeah through Joseph,
1: through a through a a treaty, a friendship, and then what happens? Then you then you open Exodus, and there you are. Yeah, okay, a new pharaoh arises. So yeah. if you
0: hadn't had the story of Joseph, and you just jumped from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you got these twelve kids, and then and then all of a sudden you open up and they're in Egypt, they're slaves. They're yeah. slaves. How would that make sense? Yeah. The Joseph story makes sense. The
1: Maccabees is what brings the link.
0: Brings the link and shows mm-hmm. how Rome was invited to be a partner, yeah. but you you made partnership with an ungodly partner. That's right. You know?
1: And they t- and they eventually dominate you.
0: Dominate yeah. you. Yeah. And become the the ruler of the world. And so mm-hmm. you see that the the prophecy of that fulfillment when Jesus says, you know, go go out and make disciples, being in Jerusalem mm-hmm. to Judea, you know, and Samaria, right. and to the ends of the earth. Yes. Well, you know that makes sense of the, fulfill- the the call in the Old Testament. The prophets were always that the family of God was to always have been more than the Jews. that's
1: right, yeah, it, it was, was universal. It was always it was Catholic. To, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it was always to be yeah. that way. All the prophets said someday the other nations will come to God, that's right, and so you know god's desire for it to be at Rome. The other thing that cracks me up about, even as I think today. When you ask the questions, why is God bringing so many non-Catholic clergy into the church? And there are a lot of answers to that. And those of you listening may not realize, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we in the Coming Home Network are contacted by two to five brand new Protestant ministers every week that are starting their journey to the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. So, um, so the question is, well, why? Why is God? Some would say, well, because of the priest shortage. Well, that's for a few. Um, But I think it's partially because uh, of our need to reach out to our separated brethren. What better way to reach out to our separated brethren than some of their own men and women who were trained to understand so that we can evangelize, we can help them understand the fullness. Well, what better person to call if we're going to go to Rome than Saul?
1: Yeah, a Roman citizen, yeah. I
0: mean, Saul was the perfect choice Mm -hmm. to be the man. I mean, Peter received his ordination at the shadow of of Caesarea and Rock. Yeah. But Paul had the credentials to take this thing all the way to Rome. Uh, It was a little tougher for Peter, Mm -hmm. uh, but he did make it himself. Now, that was always a question. I don't know if it was for you also. There was always that claim that Peter never made it to Rome. Mm Mm-hmm do you have to deal with that in your journey at all or Yeah, you know you-
1: i i looked into that all of this is a book i've i've written it's hopefully out by the end of the year it's called the eternal city rome and the origins oh, of catholic great. christianity and it just it just looks at all the, the papacy in rome you know hammering all of this out in scripture and and so yeah one of the big questions is did peter go to rome and, and protestants used to say no and almost all real protestant scholars today say yes and catholics do and of course, you can go see his bones today under the altar in St. Peter's if you want. I've seen him. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, you know, when did he go there? You know, the the earliest records we have say that he went there in the early 40s and then left. And why did he leave? Well, we know now that, that the Jews were expelled from Rome. St. Paul might even be writing after that too because the tensions there he talks <laughs> about between different sects there in Rome. Uh, might have to do with that. And it seems that he went there early in um, – In 43. And if you read, right after James the Greater is martyred, and they capture Peter and put him in prison in Acts, and then an angel comes and he escapes, remember, and he goes Mm -hmm. back. And then Acts reads, and then Peter went to another place, period. Next idea. Where did he go? It's kind of, wouldn't you want to know where he went? (laughs) (laughs) To another place, (laughs) yeah. He probably went, and that lines up chronologically with the traditional date of him going to Rome. He I think he probably went to Rome at that time, and and they just said he went to another place because they didn't want to say where. <laughs> you don't tell where your where your boss is, you know, <laughs> especially if he's a hunted man. So so um, yeah, he was definitely in Rome. I think the archaeology, the tradition, the documentation, all of that, and even P- uh, Paul in in um, Romans, you know, he talks about not wanting to build on another man's foundation. In, when he, when coming to Rome, mm-hmm. well, what was he talking about? What other man is building a foundation in Rome? Especially you use the word foundation. Yeah. A guy who would be the rock on which the church is built. So I, I think that's a cryptic reference to Peter there also in, in Romans when he says, lest I build on another man's foundation. I think he's referring to maybe Peter already there.
0: You had another passage that the Second Timothy passage, which um, – that uh, you'd also chosen as a, a, a key uh, reference on this uh, explanation.
1: Yeah, it's, it talks about—it's um, really just Paul's last testament. I'll read it. It's, it's uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The point of my departure has come also interesting uses the word sacrifice there yeah. for us it's eucharistic it's obvious mm-hmm. uh, he's using a jewish sacrificial or eucharistic language here uh, i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i've kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing and where's he writing this rome you know this is just the last testament he's finally you know what what our Lord says as you have testified to me in Jerusalem so you must bear witness you must be a martyr he's there he he fulfilled it
0: All right. thanks Marshall let's take a break Uh, we'll come back after the break with a few more scriptures we can uh, look at that that were verses that encouraged you on your journey Uh, our guest today on Deep in Scripture is Taylor Marshall and you're hearing us on EWTN your global Catholic radio network
2: This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today.
0: CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grody's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic, but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grote. I'm joined today by Dr. Taylor Marshall, former Episcopal clergyman. We've been looking in the first half hour the, um, the, the scriptures that helped you accept Rome as not the accidental, but the intended purpose and place of as the center for the church. Um, I suppose another reason... That makes sense is why it needed to shift from Jerusalem to Rome, is because our Lord had prophesied that Jerusalem was going to experience a tremendous upheaval. And of course, John prophesied that. And that's what the the first interpretation of Revelation is it's Mm -hmm. all about the destruction of Jerusalem. So if, and we know that at that point, everyone was scattered right? So if Jerusalem was the intended place, there, there's nothing left.
1: That's right. Yeah. You know, the, this emphasis and this transition to Rome also relates to to our Lord's, um, the removal of the Shekinah glory from Jerusalem. The presence of God is now with his people in the Eucharist. It's no longer restricted to a city. And, um, uh, Jerusalem falls under the, under the curse of God for rejecting the Messiah. And, uh, you know, as he said, not one stone will be left on another. And the Romans come in in the year A.D. 70, and they do that, and they destroy the city. And the Christians at that time followed what was written in the Gospel of Matthew, and they left the city, and they were spared. And those who stayed in the city were not spared. Right. In fact, they were crucified.
0: And we see a constant tension in the the Book of Acts, um, as well as the background of Paul's letters, the battle uh, between the early Christians and the Judaizers, mm-hmm. um, which is a bit, a little bit like what we experience even today, when the Church, with her authority, makes some major changes in some things, with she has every right to do in certain areas. There are some people who don't like changes, and so they they either turn their back on the Church or. Uh, think they know better than the church, and so that's what the Judaizers were in the first century. Uh, And that battle would have always been there if Jerusalem had been the center. But Mm -hmm. by completely moving on, it's not that the church is a brand new thing. It is the fulfilled continuity of the Old Testament people of God in every aspect, but yet Mm Christ-centered and baptism-centered, not circumcision-centered. And we're not slaves of a of a godly master, we are sons of a father. So I mean, all this transition and understanding came along with the movement of the church to Rome. Yes. With that, and we were talking during the break about another transition into some more scriptures, that um, another aspect of our faith that's a necessary aspect that, as a Protestant, I didn't fully understand, and that was the place of suffering. Yes, yeah. Um, you see all through Acts and, and the epistles this experience of suffering by the first century Christians. We have modern Christians that say if you're a really good Christian, you shouldn't suffer at all. Right? Yeah, Do you have right. any of those down in Texas?
1: Oh, we've got lots of them in Texas, <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere. You know, yeah, health it, and wealth, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you if you really love Jesus and—,
1: and Right, you get really, a new job, you get a new car, your cancer will clear up. Yep. And I even heard one of those health and wealth gospels on television
0: say that if your church teaches the necessity of of suffering, then it's an apostate church, mm-hmm. and you obviously don't have faith in Jesus Christ, because if you had faith in All Jesus right. Christ, you wouldn't be suffering.
1: And then you want to ask them, well, what happened to Peter? What happened to Paul? What happened to James? You know,
0: what happened to every apostle? Yeah,
1: except John, who died. Right.
0: We we hear what right. tradition has; he dies of, of old age. Yeah,
1: but they all are martyrs, and that's seen as being noble, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah, in that sense, if you if you want to say, well, okay, the the early church was the Catholic Church in the beginning, but it got off base. Well, it, when did it get off base? And everybody's got a different answer. And mm-hmm. when it got off base, and some have said it's with this rise of things like suffering and and doing good things as an expression of your faith. Well, from the beginning, every single apostle. Take
1: up your cross daily and follow me. I imagine carrying crosses daily is not fun.
0: Well, and then there's, I don't know if you experienced this as an Anglican, but one of the emphases that I had as a Calvinist was that much of what Jesus said was to his present Jewish audience but wasn't to be taken literally or directly after the resurrection so that we could take verses just like you said, mm-hmm. to take up your cross. Well, that was before the resurrection, mm-hmm. after the resurrection. It's different. That's how we got rid of the Beatitudes. That's how we got mm-hmm. rid of the, all the the emphasis on holiness, and holy works, service, alms, sacrifice, that was in the Sermon on the Mount, well, that's before the cross. Mm. But after the cross, it's new. The old is mm-hmm. gone, the new has come.
1: Right. Which kind of makes the New Testament have its own two testaments, which is difficult to do, I think. Yeah. But, well,
0: really, it's, a, it's what do you call that, a, a zip, you know, when you pull a mm-hmm. thread and the priest and the whole thing zips. Yeah. Because... One time I was quoting on the Journey Home program uh, some references from Hebrews, like Hebrews 6, 4, Mm, that says, mm -hmm. you know, how can a person, once he's tasted of the anointing of the Spirit. Been enlightened and all that. All that, and then commit apostasy. Yes. Well, what do you do with that if you're a once-saved-always-saved Christian? And the answer was someone sent me an email saying, well, that's the book of Hebrews. It doesn't apply to us. Right. That only applied right. to Jews in the first century. It doesn't apply. Yeah.
1: Then why is it in the Bible?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you start cutting, mm-hmm. choosing, pasting. And I'd like to to have you look at a few verses that they were certainly verses that I didn't see mm. when I was a Protestant minister because, or if I did see them, I didn't know how to deal with them because I did not know how to answer the issue of suffering as a Presbyterian pastor. And the first of those was Colossians one twenty four, in which Paul, after he's talked the beautiful expression about Christ as the image of the invisible and all that wonderful statement and about his call to the ministry to serve the church, then he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister. Now, Dr. Marshall, uh, what did you deal with that? How did you deal with that verse when you were an Anglican Episcopalian?
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the most, maybe the most difficult passage uh, for Protestants. As Catholics, we can appreciate and understand it, but I think even as a Catholic, it's hard to wrap your mind around the profound image that Paul's Painting for us right there. Yeah. Uh, just to even suggest that there's something lacking in Christ's sufferings. You know, it's just borderline blasphemy to even to even approach that. And yet it's there in the scriptures, inspired yeah. by the Holy Spirit, infallible, true, inerrant. Deal with it. I I think the the way that that's helped me to understand it, coming from a, a Protestant background. Is going back to what we talked about in in the um, in the show on Monday night uh, on the journey home, and that is participation. That it's not a zero sum arrangement. You know, we don't Christ doesn't get fifty percent, and then we get ten percent, and Mary gets twenty percent, and so on and so forth. All of our activity participates in the life of Christ. Right? He is the head; we are the body. And what is lacking in what Christ? Well, Christ. One drop of Christ's blood could redeem the whole world. That's yeah. given. You know, All Catholics believe that. The precious blood is that powerful. Well, what's lacking? What's lacking is the application of it in our lives throughout time. And the other thing that's lacking is for us to be conformed to the image of the Son, as Paul says in Romans. We need to be conformed to Christ. How do we conform? How do we fight against the flesh? How do we put to death? You know the sin that is within us and the concupiscence and all that. Well, we take up our cross and that involves yeah. suffering. So there's there's not anything objectively lacking in Christ. It's it's the what's lacking is how we as members of the head conform. And Saint Paul is in his own life experiencing that, mm-hmm. right? And then he's also trying to instill that in his spiritual children, the church.
0: Yeah, if we. In a very mystical way, it it's addressing our union with Jesus through our baptism, in which we become children of God, a part of the family, undeserving that and and every one of us sh- certainly baptism original sin is wiped clean, and so we stand before God without embarrassment but Every one of us since has... We all got concupiscence. We we, we mess up. And so in that sense, the body of Christ suffers because of our sinfulness. And so the body of Christ is yearning, as it says in Romans, you know, for the time when the sons of God are revealed and Mm -hmm. all of that. But he also says in that book of Romans, chapter 5, that um, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet... No, oh, no, excuse me. I'm back up. My, my finger dropped on the page. In Romans chapter 5, 3. Um, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Many times in the epistles, he talks about this procedure. Yes. This produces, this produces, this produces, this. Peter talks about that. Isn't yes. James talks about that. There's, there's, a, there's a, Conversion is a process. That's right. And the necessary part of that process is detachment. That's the yes. Sermon on the Mount. Following Christ's call, it involves letting go. Mm-hmm. It allows suffering in all kinds of levels yes. if we are to be what God wants but us to be. But not
1: suffering in vain, right? Yeah. That... When we suffer, it's because we are becoming closer to our Lord. You know, when he kisses us, we feel the crown right there near. A verse that's like that Paul says, says, Philippians 129. And he he says to the Philippians, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I remember as a Protestant reading that and thinking, if I believe in him, I have to suffer. Oh no! <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there it is. You know, if you have faith, it is appointed by God for you to suffer. And yet, Paul can say that he rejoices in his suffering. I'm not there yet, you know, fully. But you know, as Catholics, we we do you know we have a crucifix in our church for a reason, and it helps us to focus on. Well,
0: I, I can't help but think that the modern health and wealth gospel arose because like a bunch of salesmen, guys have gotten into a room for, how are we going to sell this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to evangelize. We're called to go out and make disciples of all nations. How are we going to do that? You know, we've got to get this church to grow. And, uh, you know, we've got a sanctuary that seats 100, but we want this priesthood to seat a 500 and then 1,000. How are we going to get those people to come? Well, if you gave them the message that Paul just gave to the Philippians, right? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you shall not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict which you saw and now hear.
1: It's like that's not going to sell very well. Yes, it only will sell in a supernatural way, through grace. Only through grace. Yeah, only through grace.
0: And what Paul says in, back in Philippians, uh, again, in, in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say Rejoice. You know, he's in the midst of that, whom have no anxiety about anything. Later, he says, I've learned to be, whereas he said, you know, I, I, I can handle any circumstances yeah. you, God's put me in. Yeah. Right. Because of grace.
1: And right. he's becoming conformed to Christ. Yeah. You know, all of this goes back, We in the first half of the show, we talked about him on the road to Damascus. And our Lord says to him, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, Saul wasn't actively persecuting person, Jesus Christ. He was persecuting Christians. He was hurting and imprisoning Christians. But his first encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ is, why are you persecuting me? And in that one statement is all of Paul's theology, <laughs> because it shows that every single Christian participates and belongs to the body of Christ. Anything you do to a Christian, you do to Christ. Anything a Christian does belongs that he does good, meritorious, belongs to Christ. So that mystical connection between the individual suffering Christians being persecuted by Saul and Christ himself are united. It's right there in the road to Damascus. And, and, and all of his epistles are just unfolding yeah. that reality of how each individual believer by baptism is placed into the body of Christ. The Eucharist has a participation in the body. All the sacraments, all the prayers, all the sufferings is hidden and united to Christ. And so that's why he can talk about fulfilling what is lacking in the in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church, he says there.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that way. But Paul, you know, when he was confronted by our Lord, he didn't believe in our Lord. Yeah. He didn't yeah. believe in him at all. But he believed without a question that he was persecuting Christians. That was he knew he was doing that. He yes. felt called to do that. Right. I know I'm doing that. So when Jesus makes that connection, you're persecuting me. There is layers of theology there yeah. that uh, everything
1: is connected. All forward. of ecclesiology is contained in that statement. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's
0: powerful. Let's take another break, uh, Taylor. Be back just a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host Marcus Grody. I'm joined today by Doctor Terry Taylor Marshall, excuse me. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your Global Catholic Radio Network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com.
2: The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, joined today by Taylor Marshall. We're discussing a few other scriptures because, in fact, there are many scriptures in the New Testament that talk about this important aspect of suffering, not merely as an add-on, an unfortunate add-on to our faith, but as a necessary ingredient to our growing in union with Jesus. Uh, and one place that, uh, that struck me about that, as I'm thinking about it, is also in, again, the Romans letter, where after he re- tells every reminds them that they are heirs of Christ and by the Holy Spirit can call God Abba, Father. But he says in there that we're heirs, provided we suffer.
1: Right. Provided we provided suffer. Provided we suffer.
0: That's, you know, again, it's got one of those... Again, one of those uh, flowing things. You know, you do this, then this, and this. We cry, Abba, Father. Is a spirit witness that we are spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The suffering is the necessary ingredient for divinization. That's right. To experience the glory of God.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of Calvinists like to talk about that that chain of of election and predestination there in Romans and eight, you know, eight, and nine in there. But the end of it is predestined to what it's to be conformed to the, to the image and likeness of his son. Right. So it's not just predestined to end up in a certain place, namely heaven. It's to be conformed. And this, this conformity requires us to be like Christ. And Christ was a man of sorrows. He was a sacrificial victim. There's another great one in second Corinthians four, eight through 11. St. Paul says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not given to, driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And here's the key part. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, there is, he says, we're carrying around in the body the death of Jesus. So, you know, the crucifix, that image, is always within us. It's 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 the image that's before our eyes as we pass through life. We look forward to the glories of the resurrection and the beatific vision and all that. But in this life, this valley of tears, we realize that we have a vocation and it entails suffering. Now, this doesn't mean we have to be dour Catholics and wear black and all, you know, compare how much we're suffering with one another. There should be a rejoicing. As Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. But it doesn't mean that we live easy and luxurious and perfect lives.
0: Even as our Lord taught in the Sermon on the Mount, when we fast or do alms or prayer, it's not to show off to the people around us how pious we are. It's to the Father. It's to the Father. The Father knows what we're going through. He knows the suffering that he allows in our life and, and for our good, our benefit. And there's the call so that when we experience suffering, we have the same prayerful answer that our Lord accepted at Gethsemane. Yes. You know, if it's your will, Lord, take the cup away, but thy will be done. Yes. We can pray that with the suffering that happens in our That's life. Right. We we, can... we, if it's God's will, love for that suffering to go. But if it's what's best for me, thy will be done, Lord. Yes.
1: And there's a great peace in that. It's very difficult. You know, I, I don't want people listening to go, these two guys are just talking about how wonderful and easy it is to suffer. <laughs> you know, it's very difficult, but but in in the small ways that I've suffered, the peace of being able to, to say, you know, please let this stop happening, but if it doesn't, I give it to you. And knowing that there's a purpose for it.
0: The... Uh, Pope John Paul wrote a wonderful encyclical on that Colossians passage on suffering. I can't think of the name of it. It's a good Latin, Salvat Dolores. You know which one I'm talking about? It's a, yeah, I don't know the name it But that. I would encourage you, I'm sure you can find it on the Vatican website, any of you, but if you just do a search for John Paul II's encyclical or letter on suffering, strongly encourage it because it's really a Bible study. It's really what it is. He deals with these scriptures and shows how not just to understand them better, which is important, but for people who are suffering, how they themselves, who may not always be as receptive to our preaching when we aren't suffering, but how they can understand the value of suffering and how it calls us to uh, to grow closer to Christ. Um, you had pointed out earlier that Galatians passage, which uh, Taylor is a, a powerful one to remind us that. Mm-hmm. Well, it says in Galatians two nineteen, for I. I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave Himself for me. You know, our 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 Lord showed Himself to Thomas. The resurrected Christ has the wounds. Yes he still experiences the suffering for us yeah and the suffering Christ is the one who dwells within us and that's what paul is in here saying is no longer i but he who now lives in me yes. that i'm united
1: with that's right and and this is again the, the union right our suffering you know paul wasn't wasn't and never was literally crucified st peter yes but paul was not literally crucified but yet he saw himself and all of his sufferings as a union with Christ's crucifixion.
0: Yeah, the name of that encyclical is Salvifici
1: Doloris. Yeah, Salvifici Doloris. Wonderful
0: uh, Bible study by Blessed John Paul about this. You know, we, we mentioned earlier about the two apostles who went to Rome and both died there, both suffered there for our faith, uh, and their blood uh, was the seed of the mart- the seat of the church. Uh, first Peter. Uh, he also deals with this very issue, in which he says, um, "In this you rejoice." Of course, it's in the context of talking about the Lord. Though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer various trials, so that the mm-hmm. genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, there again, it's it's how our faith is demonstrated in the world, not by the riches and wealth and as if we're a perfectly healthy people, if that's all it's about, because then that's a faith that's only about this world. It's only about the physical, about the sensual, but it's a spiritual death. And so that might call us, cause us to have to let go of everything in this world.
1: Yes. That's right. And, you know, St. Peter... He had to go down a pathway to understand this. I mean, you know, he he in, in obviously in, the, in First Peter he has a very profound theology of suffering. But just remember, back when he was appointed pope, and he said, you know, he takes our Lord. You don't need to go through all this. Get behind me, Satan. You know, Peter even then, even when he was living every day with our Lord, discouraged Christ from from entering the passion. So it's it's an it's natural for us humans to to shrink back from this. But Christ calls us onward. Well, it took
0: Peter a while to understand the place of suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, too. And you and me, huh? That's right. Amen. We would love to eradicate all. We live in a culture that does everything it can to eradicate suffering for everyone's life. That's the goal of medicine. And uh, with that, we need to understand that maybe God allows suffering in our life, that we might go closer to him. Yes, Taylor, thank you very
1: much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Again, Taylor Marshall's website is taylormarshall.com. You can connect to his blog as well as his books. And uh, and, uh, send along your questions and thoughts as a result of our conversation. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Look forward to being with you again next week.